must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Wyrock, and today we are joined by Dr. Marilyn Mossett. She's a full professor of physical therapy at New York University, where she directs both the professional doctoral program and the post-professional graduate master's degree program in pathokinesiology. Dr. Moffitt is a recognized leader in the United States and internationally is a practitioner, a teacher, a consultant, a leader, and an author. And I know that I've looked up to Dr. Moffitt throughout my career, um, and I know that she also gave the 35th Macmillan Lecture titled Braving New Worlds to Conquer to Endure in 2004. She's completed a six-year term as the APTA president in 1997. She served on the APTA Board of Directors and also was the president of the New York Physical Therapy Association. During her term as president of the APTA, she played a major role in the development of the Association's Guide to Physical Therapist Practice, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, and she was the project editor of the second edition of the guide. And she's also the chair of the ACAP Exercise Physiology Task Force. And that's exactly why we wanted to bring her on today, because we want to talk about exercise physiology. And Dr. Moffitt, you are a recognized expert in this, and I realize that you've done a ton for our profession. So maybe share with our listeners um, what you're currently up to nowadays. Well, I'm still teaching at New York University full-time, certainly serving in a role of advisor for curricula development and assuring that we are keeping abreast of all of the major issues in physical therapy, as well as um, those things that are most important in terms of our practice delivery over a protracted period of time. Uh, I still maintain a private practice. It's a highly consultative private practice, uh, working primarily with aging adults, uh, but um, certainly seeing many other individuals with the varied problems that occur with the aging process. And you know, the aging process starts in our 30s, so it can go all the way from the 30s well into the hundreds nowadays. Um, in addition to that, I just um, I completed a term as uh, past president of the World Confederation for Physical Therapy and just came back from their meeting in Geneva last week. Uh, I also am still serving um, in a consultative role in terms of programming for aging adults and still doing some work for APTA 
um, particularly as it relates to their upcoming centennial celebration. So um, certainly doing other things in the community as well and family and all of those things also keep me incredibly busy. So it's not as if I'm sitting twiddling my thumbs, but I certainly am still enjoying every minute of what I do in my life. Well, and that's fantastic. And that's something that, you know, really characterizes a good leader, someone who's really staying active and able to balance all those things and still make a great impact. And, you know, and, you know, Dr. Moffat, as Stephanie had kind of mentioned, you know, the theme of this episode was kind of really talking and diving into more um, exercise, exercise prescription and entry level PT education. Um, but before we just kind of dive into that whole issue together, I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit more about, um, you know, the perspective and focusing on the your time as the chair of the ACAP physiology, Exercise Physiology Task Force. So to give a little background here, could you maybe share a little bit more about, you know, why and how this task force was formed? Yeah, sure. I can give you the background very easily. And I just want you to remember that it wasn't just an exercise physiology task force. It was a task force that was to review entry-level curricula to determine the status of the program curricula in advanced exercise physiology science, exercise prescription and nutrition, particularly as they related to exercise and physical activity. And the overall purpose was to develop recommendations for educational approaches that we could use to address the APTA position statement. And um, I've, I've pulled that statement out, so I'm gonna just read it in a couple of seconds. But the recommendations were to reflect what the task force determined to be realistic expectations given overall curricula as well as the intent of the position statement. So it was much more broad based than just exercise physiology. That was just one component of it. And it was really the whole broad spectrum of exercise. So the APTA's position the statement um, was that they attempted and wanted to promote physical therapists as health service delivery produce providers of choice for the exercise and physical activity prescription component of the spectrum of management strategies intended to prevent or treat the non-communicable diseases and their related factors and seek participation in the development and or update of physical activity or exercise guidelines for these NCDs. So it was really extremely broad and um, just a little bit of background because I don't know where your audience is on the non-communicable diseases, but there are two categories of non-communicable diseases. One are those diseases that lead to mortality, and those are some forms of cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and also chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, as well as all of their related risk factors. And again, things like tobacco use, alcohol use, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol rates, all of those things, physical inactivity, all related as risk factors to the non-communicable diseases leading to mortality. Then we also had the whole spectrum of the non-communicable diseases that lead to disability. And those are the things, the arthritis, the back pain, the neck pain, et cetera. So that charge to us was extremely broad. So as a result, um, I was so fortunate to work with uh, five other amazing, amazing individuals. We had Jim Farris from A.T. Still University, Shane Phillips from the University of Illinois at Chicago, Ted Angelopoulos, and he was the only non-PT in my group, um, and he was actually director of the Laboratory of Applied Physiology at the University of Central Florida. Then we had uh, Dennis O'Connell from Hardin-Simmons University, and Ben Rogozinski, who was with Emory University. And then um, ACAP also uh, assigned Kathy Zulewski 
uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee as the, the council liaison to our group. So I was fortunate to have really six unbelievably superb people uh, working with me throughout this entire process. Um, we did all of our meetings via conference calls and, you know, sharing of data, obviously, through all the electronic means that were available. And so our process uh, sort of went like this. We had our first conference call, and we sort of decided what were the things that we needed to do. And I probably, I, I don't like to digress too much from my train of thought in terms of where I'm going right now, but I probably ought to digress just a little bit because I think it's good for your audience to know where we came from in terms of exercise as one of our unbelievably major interventions in physical therapist practice. And if you go back to the beginning of the profession, the majority of physical therapists came from gymnasia, schools of physical education, and some from nursing backgrounds, but most from the gymnasia and also physical education programs, which meant that most individuals who went into physical therapy then had a very strong exercise background. And that maintained itself even through my entire era because I, again, was a product not of PT education initially, but I had my baccalaureate degree in physical education. I student taught, I taught, and then I went back and uh, got my physical therapy education. So I brought to physical therapy, as many of my colleagues did in that point in time, a very strong educational background and a very strong exercise background. Unfortunately, we lost that when we moved to the baccalaureate degree because then our individuals came into a four-year baccalaureate program where it basically was two plus two training. And what happened is they tried to cram a whole bunch of stuff into two years and the things got that cut cut shorter and shorter and they didn't come in with the background was again the exercise components as they try to squeeze everything into that two-year curriculum. Now it was four years but it was only basically two years in PT. So over that whole course of time when we started the baccalaureate all the way through until things somewhat changed uh, as we entered into DPT education, we lost all of those individuals who came from physical education, physiology, again, exercise science backgrounds, and then got either certificates or whatever the degree might have been in physical therapy to become physical therapist practitioners. So we basically lost a lot of exercise in our educational components. I have always, always been a very, very strong component proponent of exercise as the base of what we do. And I think the data are so strong now. I mean, our two strongest interventions, if you look at it in almost every, every entity with which we deal, whether it's musculoskeletal, neuromuscular, cardiovascular, pulmonary, whether it's, again, the other systems in terms of the genital urinary system, et cetera, is, are the two things related to exercise and education. Now, we have lots of ancillary things we do as well, but the two key things that we have as interventions for the majority of patients and clients we see are exercise. So I come from that kind of orientation. My Macmillan lecture had a very ardent plea for us to, again, get that education related to exercise in our curriculum. And unfortunately, um, it has happened to a certain extent, but certainly not to the extent that I think is absolutely necessary or needed in our curriculum. Okay, so now back to the task force. So the task force was formed, and as I said, I worked with six super people and brilliant people in terms of their exercise backgrounds and the skills that they brought to this group. We did our conference calls, as I mentioned. We had basically four of them over the course of several months. 
we conducted all of our business via electronic communication. And the first thing that we did was send a memo to all of the school directors requesting information on any coursework in their curricula that pertained to the charge of the task force. What was really amazing, and I can't give you the numbers of school programs that existed in 2013, but it wasn't as many as we have today, but it was still a sizable number. We only got 12 replies from all those school directors, but we still had our six universities, so we had 18 programs that we took every bit of the curricula stuff that they gave to us, and it was really very nice. These 12 institutions and our own institutions very willingly shared all of our course content that we had related to the charge of the of the charge of the task force related to exercise and physical activity pres uh, prescription. What we did is then collated all of that material, and we found that they fell into several major categories. One was physiology, and that included everywhere from exercise physiology, clinical physiology, applied physiology, principles of nutrition. The second area was exercise, and that was principles of exercise, therapeutic principles, scientific principles, exercise and health and disease, strength and conditioning, special topics for CSCS workshop, personal training and rehab, fitness theory and practice. So again, all over the board here. The third category that we looked at was the health and wellness. And this included curriculum materials related to educational aspects of physical therapy, health promotion and wellness, uh, health promotion and disease prevention, health promotion, wellness prevention at individual and community levels. And then we had another fourth category called other, uh, which we didn't know what to do with them, so we threw them into another category. And that was often things like CVP, physical therapy, um, cardiovascular and pulmonary science, topics related to CVP, PT, um, some physical agents, and the therapeutic exercise. So. We had all those materials. We, I had distributed to each of the task force members that they were categorized into those areas. And the thing that we did at our first conference call, I think that was really key for all of us, we sort of put some points forward that we needed to sort of keep in the backs of our minds related to the task force. And some of these things included, and I, I can't give you every single one of them right now, but the majority were like, PT education uh, appears to not be very unified in exercise prescription related to the non-communicable diseases. PT graduates are comfortable with the musculoskeletal system, but they don't think about the cardiovascular pulmonary, and yet aerobic endurance testing and exercise prescription is essential to all the NCDs and also to just exercise parameters as in general. Exercise physiology, when it exists, and it doesn't exist in a lot of programs, seem to be placed in a number of different areas and with no set of ideal practices that would normally be found in a normative model. Some of the examples that we looked at that were presented in the courses that were sent to us were unique and wonderful learning experiences, um, but they didn't appear to be any sort of representative foundation for putting them there. They just sort of were stuck in a curriculum. Um, we also sort of said to ourselves, you know, we can't build a glass house on a sandy cliff because that's just not going to work. So you can't have pretty substance with no foundation. So it became really important for us to look at all of those things. Um, we also considered things like we knew that if we tried to add credits to curriculum that we'd meet resistance. Um, we also know that graduates had to be comfortable with exercise prescription, otherwise they were never going to be solid prescribers of exercise. Um, we knew that whatever grouping that we sort of came up with, that it was going to set the framework for what we did in the next couple of months. 
And we also thought it might be better to determine knowledge and skills that we want DPT students to have upon graduation in these arenas. And so we began to generate core objectives that would include precisely what was going to be needed to meet the charge that ACAPT had given to us. What's really interesting is after all this initial discussion, we narrowed things down into three major domains. And that those domains were exercise physiology, exercise testing and prescription, and then health promotion and wellness, including special populations, prevention for special populations. As we again began to look more in depth at the materials that we were looking at and gathering, we then looked at the necess necessity of those three categories not being enough for all of the areas that we were looking at. So we expanded the curricular expectations into five areas. And the final five areas that we actually presented back to ACAP with our report uh, included exercise physiology slash nutrition, exercise testing, exercise prescription and principles, fitness theory and practice, and then finally the fifth one was health promotion, wellness, and prevention. And then from there, what we did was we actually took every single one of those areas and we then developed what would probably be curricula objectives that were to be incorporated into educational programs. Um, I think one of the major problems <laughs> that occurred is that many faculties don't have good exercise scientists or people who can teach really exercise because they came from the baccalaureate background. They didn't necessarily have strong exercise principles behind them. And so um, it maybe became a little bit more difficult for them to incorporate or look at all of these objectives. But we developed unbelievably intensive and very specific objectives for each of those five domains. And those, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't looked lately, are still on ACAP's um, website um, for faculty to use. I mean, the interesting thing is ACAP thanked us very much for all of the work and then said, okay, put it on their website, and that was the end of it. There was no real push to make a commitment to getting educational programs to incorporate those things into their curriculum. So I think we are where we are today for the very same reason we were in the past, and that is we do not have a strong commitment. I mean, it's in the CAPTI guidelines, but it's not strong, um, and it can be gotten around in many, many ways. And I think if they looked at all of the objectives that we put into those five domains, you would have a super, ex and I, I think physical therapists should be exercise scientists, and I mean scientists. No exercise should ever, ever be prescribed without a scientific basis. And, you know, we gave them all the tools to do that in terms of the, um, the curricula outlines and the, um, the expectations in each of those five areas that we presented. So that, in a nutshell, gives you all of our activity that occurred over probably a seven-month period of time. And we presented this very strong report to ACAPT, and as I said, they thanked us and put it on their website. Yeah, and, and kind of going off that, Dr. Moffat, I mean, I think you broke that down very well, and I think it's interesting when you go through, you know, the process and all the barriers. First and foremost, the big thing that stuck out to me is you only got 12 replies, um, yeah. which to me was kind of like, oh my God, how representative really is this necessarily of all programs? Well, there we go. 
but then you know uh, you know going on through like how you guys had posted those recommendations and then you hadn't really seen a whole lot of significant change since then um, from your perspective what you know what from a standpoint of whether it be from whatever kind of um, overseeing bodies or even programs what would need to happen to start to incorporate some of the Th those five principles, those five major themes into education more regularly. Like what, 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 what would need to happen to actually get to meaningful change? Well, I think, you know, ACAP has got to come out with a very strong position statement that exercise is the leading component in physical therapist practice. And it is the only one that is supported by thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of research data. As I said, you can um, you know, when I teach my courses, I'll take all of the diagnostic entities that you can think about, and I don't care whether it's some forms of cancer, whether it's diabetes, whether it's cardiovascular disease, whether it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, whether it's, again, the musculoskeletal diseases of the arthritis, or again, the hip fractures or the hip replacements or knee replacements. Go down the line, the data are there that exercise is the key intervention in almost all of these entities. I'm not saying that you can't do other things, but if we don't get people, again, moving and exercising and back into the strongest functional capabilities that we can get them, we're doing a disservice and what will happen is others are gonna do it. I mean, what shocks me is the numbers of trainers that are putting themselves out there now. You know, bring your back problem to me. We'll take care of your back. We'll take care of your neck. You know, are you postpartum? Come to our fitness center. We'll take care of it. I mean, it's shocking because these people don't have the training or the background. They don't have the pathophysiology. They don't have the science that we ostensibly have. But they're sure very good pro proposers of themselves in terms of their exercise capability. Now, whether they're strong or not is another question, and I'm not taking that on at all. But what I do know is that physical therapists, if they're going to compete in this entire arena all the time, and we should be leaders, need to have that strong exercise background. I mean, as I can say from my own curriculum here at New York University, when we did the DPT curriculum, we trashed our other curriculum. Unlike other programs which just added on to their existing curriculum, we started from the very beginning. So we built a very solid stair-stepping, um, used all of the educational approaches to learning that we could to implement a program that was stair-stepping, building on the basics and then taking them further and further. However, we always had from the very beginning a course in exercise physiology and nutrition. We always had a course in exercise therapeutic exercise. We have always had a course in fitness theory. So we have had three solid courses in those arenas, with, and that doesn't even include the exercise content that we put when we get to our intervention courses for this cardiovascular pulmonary, for the musculoskeletal, for the neuromuscular, and for the other systems areas. So we have exercise throughout our entire curriculum and stress it amazingly. As you know, all of our students have to be CSCS, and they cannot graduate unless they pass the CSCS. Our students have the opportunity to be uh, basic math Pilates certified. Uh, we incorporate yoga into our program. We incorporate, again, uh, other activities related to exercise science. Our students go down to our fitness centers on more than one occasion, so they know the equipment and they know how to use it extremely well. But that's our program, and that's because we have had a major commitment to making very strong exercise scientists in addition to making unbelievably superb entry-level generalists. Um, we don't have our students running around doing capstone projects because we'd rather teach 
physical therapy, entry-level education. So we'd rather spend time doing pelvic floor management and wound care and all of those other things. So, but that's our philosophy here at New York University. So I know Brandon had mentioned, you know, that there hasn't really been a lot of movement on some of the task force recommendations. So Dr. Moffat, are you aware of any other initiatives or groups that have examined the same topics since the task force has completed its work? Not that I personally know of. I mean, I think um, students are more and more beginning to request um, in their curriculum that um, maybe added content should be there. I know some are beginning to put CSCS, and I don't hold CSCS up as the only exam, but I, you know, it at least makes sure that they've got a little background in exercise science, and they also have to know something also about um, normal physical activity, particularly as it relates to some of the sport activities. And I think, you know, you never know when you're going to get a patient who happens to be an athlete and he participates or she participates in a particular sport. Well, you should know the requirements of that sport as a physical therapist, because otherwise, how do you know to adequately rehab? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a very good point. And, you know, Dr. Moffat, kind of going back a little bit to, you know, something kind of making a positive change here. I know, as you said before, there were some reasons for this based on what you had said earlier with some people maybe, not, you know, with that program, when the program changed, um, of course, not having people that have a huge amount of exercise science or physiology background in those settings teaching. Um, but, you know, I, I know that I've seen a lot of other people as well, and this has been relatively recently, um, people, more programs are having more guest lectures from clinicians going more on this. And I know there's been talk about should the entry-level education be monitored or should they make do more stuff and make it more of an undergraduate requirement for more of an exercise prescription or education standpoint? What are your thoughts on some of those other additives? And do you think that they're better or not better compared to having it more an entry-level education? Well, I think if you don't, if you're going to look at it um, as a requirement before, that means then every one of your applicants into your programs has to have not only the basic sciences, but has to have exercise science background. And I know that I think the diversity that we have now coming into the, the profession is good. I mean, we get dancers, we get psychologists, so we, get, we get business people, we get advertising people, we get exercise scientists, we get all over the board, but they come into us at least with the basic sciences. Then it's incumbent upon us to make sure that they have the exercise science background. And that's why I say, I want us to be exercise scientists when they finish a physical therapist entry-level program. And the only way to sort of standardize it is to assure that the entry-level curriculum in physical therapy, and I shouldn't say entry-level, probably that's not the appropriate term, but physical therapist professional education should include, again, making an exercise scientist as part of that education. Is there a way, Dr. Moffat, that you think that programs could better integrate exercise prescription in some of these um, recommendations that the task force has recommended? Well, I think, you know, faculty have, sit, have to sit together and decide what kind of curricular design they want and what's important. I mean, we spend very, very, very little time teaching modalities in our program because, you know what, there's very little science behind many of it. Um, there are some, obviously, where the science is okay, and if the science is appropriate, we should use it. But I'm a very, very strong proponent of evidence-based practice to the best that we can. And, you know what, I think we have to look at, you know, the hours and hours and hours we spend teaching mobilizing joints, a sixteenth of an inch. Um, and it's not that mobilization manipulation may not be important, but again, we've got to look at the data and we've got to look at the data related to that versus the data related to exercise interventions and education. 
So faculties have to come together and decide it's important, and if they don't, it won't happen. Yeah, and you know, and Dr. Moffat, kind of going off, because I know that there's, you know, if we look at the description of practice and seeing how practice analysis are done, um, not only for just the NPTE, but also specialty exams and other initiatives as well. Um, what are your thoughts on when there's been a survey and they've been kind of looking at that, you know, that survey of practice, is exercise not coming up as a big thing? And that's why why it's not changing from those other avenues? Or what, what do you think about that avenue of it? Because I know that that's one way that they try to gather feedback about, you know, what's needed and stuff to move forward on next from certain standpoint. But I was just curious what your thoughts were on that aspect of it. Um, I just, you know, I haven't looked at the surveys of practice uh, of late, so I don't really know what kinds of uh, data are being requested in the survey, but I'd have to look and see because I think, you know, you can get anything out of a survey that you want, basically. So um, I think, it, again, if we're not turning out individuals who are exercise scientists, then the kinds of interventions they're going to be doing are probably going to be related less and less to exercise than they should be or at least from my perspective, than they should be. Yeah, and, and do you find that, I mean, obviously I took the uh, NPTE about three years ago. Wow, I can't believe it's already been three years. Um, but to your knowledge, in terms of a content coverage on the NPTE, do you feel that you know, exercise and these principles is adequately covered on the exam as well, or not really? Well, I mean, I have to assume that it is, but I don't know, because I, I had no way to know what the questions are. And, um, you know, I just... I haven't seen any of their surveys of practice of late, so just because I haven't been involved in that kind of thing. So um, I'd probably have to go back and take a look, and then I could probably answer your question again more reasonably. Yeah, Dr. Moffat, I know that you've been involved in a lot of changes within the profession. You've initiated the guidelines for physical therapist practice. Um, you've been president of the APTA. You've been president of WCPT. Can you reflect? on kind of your career and some of the lessons that you've learned and maybe give some advice to some of the younger uh, physical therapists who want to become leaders in the profession and make an impact the way that you have? Well, it takes a lot of time and effort. And um, I always did my background. Um, I never jumped into a leadership role without having come up through the ranks because I really have always felt the more knowledge you have of the workings of an organization, the better off you're able to handle it. I know um, the millennial generation is much happier jumping into the president's role tomorrow rather than going through some of the preliminary steps, but I do think um, knowledge of a group and from all of its perspective, including its history, is extremely important. You also have to be willing to give up a fair amount of your life. I mean, there were many times in my life when um, conflicting responsibilities. I mean, I had family, I had other things that certainly placed maybe perhaps a lot of stress on my life, uh, but it was then adjusting and learning how to cope with that stress and being extraordinarily disciplined in terms of proportioning my time because I never wanted family to think they didn't have me uh, available when it was absolutely necessary and even when it wasn't absolutely necessary because that's obviously a part of all of our lives as well. Um, when I went into any kind of leadership role, again, I always, always made sure that I'd sit down and reflect and try and figure out what are the things that I would like to have accomplished with all of the people around me in the period of time that I'm going to be in that position. And I think the guide is certainly one example, but there are many others throughout my uh, leadership career. But 
when we decided to do the guide, it came up again in conversation while I was president. We had a task force that was appointed to come up with the framework related to the uh, management principles that we're still using today in terms of examination, um, diagnosis, prognosis, interventions. And uh, I will thank Roger Nelson forever for chairing that little portion of uh, the guide activity. It took them over almost eight months to come up with the terms, believe it or not. Um, but I think it held us in very good stead and has all this time. And then when we got into the nitty gritty of developing the guide and pulling it all together, we had hundreds of people that were involved that we brought in. So this was not, you know, just one or two or a small group of people sitting in a room by themselves. I mean, we tried to get as much input as we possibly could to make that guide stand as it has really over the test of time. I mean, it's been altered a little bit, but for the most part, it is almost basically um, what we developed that all that many years ago. So I think, you know, those things are important. You've got to be able to balance and juggle and um, also be very willing to listen. And I think that's probably one of the, the skills that I've had in my leadership. I mean, I, I've been leading, but I also don't need to necessarily show myself out there as a leader. I'm very happy um, to let people's skills come forward for their expertise to be used in the best way possible so that we all come out with the best results in the, in the end. Well, thank you for sharing that, Dr. Moffitt. I know that, you know, um, I've always admired you and everything that you've done for the profession. And at the conclusion of all of our episodes, we do ask everybody the uh, standardized question. Um, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education in physical therapy or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Now, are you looking at uh, education primarily or service delivery? Um, you can choose either one. <laughs> okay, well, certainly I'll, I'll, I'll just tackle both in certainly a little bit of a way. Um, in terms, of, and you will not hear me use the word term, the, use the term care very much in my conversation. I, I see you've used it several times on your papers, but. Um, to me, it's health service delivery. It is health professionals. Uh, where there are some terms that are totally embedded, like healthcare reform, I wouldn't attempt to change it. But care reminds me too much of that medical model of taking care of, whereas I am totally the biopsychosocial model of we must embrace supporting individuals and getting them to manage their own problems in the best way that they can through our guidance and intervention. And so that's where the whole exercise interventions comes from my perspective. So if I had anything to do in education, I would make sure that we truly turn out exercise scientists who are absolutely evidence-based practice. And all of the fads that come in and out of the profession should not make a lot of other people rich. I mean, I just, I've been very carefully tracking all of the data related to uh, taping. And you see every athlete running around with the taping and all the stuff. I have yet to see, in fact, I just looked at another study that came out when they compared one type of taping with sham, and there was absolutely no difference between them. So, you know, I think PTs have to be careful. They tend to jump on bandwagons. 
And if there's science to support it, that's one thing. And if there's not, we should not be wasting our time. Far better to give the highest exercise interventions and physical activity prescriptions that we can to get people again to avoid all of that slippery slope that can occur with the aging process and again, enable them to return into the highest functional level in their communities. That's pleasing not only to themselves, but also to others around them. So that's my aim for education. In terms of service delivery, I need to see physical therapists using exercise interventions to their maximum. No prescription of any exercise program without, again, doing it scientifically. Just don't hand that weight and say, you know, give me arm curls, give me 15 arm curls and do three sets. And then at the end, the patient's not tired and nothing's happening. And then it's wasting the patient's time. And as far as I'm concerned, the physical therapist's time. I want us to, again, be able to guide and teach and use the science that we have available to prescribe the best exercise possible and then use whatever other interventions might be appropriate for any given entity. So I don't need a lot of visits with my patients and clients because my whole aim is for them to begin to help to get themselves better. And if I can't imbue upon them a lifestyle of exercise and physical activity, probably my interventions are not gonna to be too effective in the long run. I may make a modest change in the beginning, but they're not gonna adopt a lifestyle that I think is essential. And all we need to do is look at what's going out there. Sitting is the new smoking, as you know nowadays. Lack of physical activity is appalling in the United States and all around the world. Overweight obesity are just increasing exponentially. Diabetes increasing exponentially. All of these things could be, again, so relatively easily handled if we can get people to adopt an amazing lifestyle of not only exercise, but also physical activity on a regular basis. Changes occur, and they've occurred for so many years in our profession. I mean, I remember management of spinal cord injuries in my earliest, earliest days. Those patients with spinal cord injuries used to be in rehab centers anywhere from six months to a year. Nowadays, you're lucky if you get 30 days, maybe 45 days. And that's because technology has changed. Things are different as a result. Um, and you can do so much more in terms of getting them to maintain a healthy lifestyle with equipment that's out there. So, you know, we have the option to change and to utilize what's out there. But we also have to look at what is most important in terms of maintaining a healthy lifestyle for those individuals, regardless of what their diagnostic entities might be. No, I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, Dr. Moffat, I know that, you know, we've kind of scratched the surface of kind of this whole discussion regarding, you know, exercise and entry-level education for physical therapy. Um, but say someone, for example, ha wants to learn a little bit more about, you know, the task force or if they want to kind of reach out and learn a little bit more, where can they reach out online should they have a question? They can probably reach out to me if they want to, as long as I don't get totally inundated because <laughs> my emails <laughs> are enough as it is. But, you know, I'm always willing to chat with people and I'm always willing to chat with particularly academicians who might be interested in looking at how to incorporate a very strong exercise component into their curriculum. Well, perfect. And thank you so much again, Dr. Moffat, for again, all that you've done and for, you know, you know, for coming on today to speak with us about, you know, this very, very important issue. And I hope that listeners out there can listen to kind of the points that, you know, Dr. Moffat had made and really start to at least think about and really modify how we can change things to really help address this avenue. Because being a newer clinician myself and being in contact with a lot of uh, newer clinicians from programs across the country, 
I can tell you one thing that I hear very consistently that students and newer clinicians feel underprepared for is dosing exercise. And I think that's something that needs to change. And that's kind of why we really wanted to have this episode. So uh, Dr. Moffat, again, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been mine as well. Great to speak with you both. And again, enjoy your day. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.